We didn't start the fire. It was always burning since the world's been turning. We didn't light it, but we tried to fight it. Hear all about the fight in the danger zone. Amazing stories, incredible music, terrible singing about military history. I'm Paul. Sit back and relax if you can. If you're driving, don't even think of changing stations. You know how dangerous it is to take your hands off the wheel and your eyes off the road. Gonna take it right How many of my listeners will not be religious Jews or Christians? So they may not believe anything that I'm about to say, but I promise you that at the very least I'm going to tell you a good yarn, and the facts of what have happened must make even those doubters doubt. In 1995, the Prime Minister of Israel was Yitzhak Rabin. On 5 October that year, he signed the Oslo Peace Agreement with the Palestinians, gave up lands that made part of the lands that God had promised to Abraham in chapter 15, 17 of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, the very first book of the Jewish Torah, um, to the Jews. Yitzhak Rabin boldly pointed out at the time of signing the peace accords, contradicting God's promise of the land that he gave to the Jews, that the Bible is not Israel's title deed. On 4th November 1995, Rabin was assassinated. As fate would have it on that day, in accordance with Jewish tradition, in synagogues all over the world, read from the same verse in the Torah. The verse for that day was Genesis 15. For the creation of modern-day Israel and the history of the British Mandate, it's useful to look back at what God's promise to Israel was about the promised land, because it seems to have been faithfully fulfilled in the history of Palestine so far, up to this very day. Like everything in the Bible, God's arrangements with the Jews were very specific. They are nothing like you would find in any other religion of the day. They had a number of very specific purposes and provisions. God told Moses what the deal was just before the Jews entered the promised land in about 1406 BC. And now I'm going to tell you what he said. God's purpose for the Jews was to have the Jews bring into the world ethical monotheism. He set out all of the rules for what this entailed in the Torah. Uniquely among every nation on earth, God gave the Jews a land of their own and forever. It was the land that the Canaanites and other peoples lived in, but God only expelled them after their pagan practices had become so horrific that God would not tolerate those people living there any longer. Abraham was living in that land when God made the promise to give his people that land. But he tells him in Genesis 15:16 that the people living there haven't yet been reduced to a sufficient level of degradation for God to make that happen. That verse in the Bible says, Then Jehovah told Abram, Your descendants will be oppressed as slaves in a foreign land for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them, and at the end they will come away with great wealth. After four generations, they will return here to this land, 
for the wickedness of the Amorite nations living here now will not be ready for punishment until then. The deal for the Jews living in the promised land is different than it was for the Amorites. God tells the Jews that so long as they observe and practice his laws, then they can remain in the land. But if they stop doing that, then they will also be expelled from the land, but not permanently. This is what God tells the Jews in Leviticus 18.26-28. You must strictly obey all of my laws and ordinances, and you must not do any of these abominable things. These laws apply both to you, who were born in the nation of Israel, and to foreigners living among you. Yes, all these abominations have been done continually by the people of the land where I am taking you, and the land is defiled. Do not do these things, or I will throw you out of the land, just as I will throw out the nations that live there now. God tells Moses that the land the Jewish people are going to is a land of milk and honey. He doesn't say it's a holy land. The land will only become holy when the Jewish people make it holy by honouring and following God's laws. The Torah reveals God's view of the Jewish people, and that is that they exist as God's chosen people for one reason, and one reason only, and it's not the one you might be thinking. Their role is to bring the world to God and his moral law. When the Jews abandon God, they've abandoned their reason for existence until they turn again to God. Exodus 29.46 tells us a lot about God that makes him, unsurprisingly, totally different to what any other culture in the world believes of their gods or, like Buddhists and our culture, no gods in the usual sense. The verse says that, "...and they shall know that I am the Lord their God." I brought them out of Egypt so that I could live among them. I am Jehovah, their God. This tells us four things about God and the Jews. One, God did not just create the world and then forget about it, like Aristotle's unmoved mover God, who is said to have created everything and then left it. The one true God is still playing an active role in human history. Two, God cares about human suffering. Three, God wants people to be free. And four, God has a special role for the Jewish people, which is why he took them out of Egypt all of those many centuries ago. God makes it clear that he didn't choose the Jews as the chosen people because of their specialness. In Deuteronomy 7, 6-8, he makes it clear why he chose the Jews. God Jesus is always blunt, no mealy-mouthed words. He said, For you are a holy people, dedicated to the Lord your God. He has chosen you from all the people on the face of the earth to be his own chosen ones. He didn't choose you and pour out his love upon you because you were a larger nation than any other. For you were the smallest of all. It was just because he loves you. And because he kept his promise to your ancestors, that is why he brought you out of slavery in Egypt with such amazing power and mighty miracles. One of the common situations in the Old Testament was God's wish to make sure that the Jews knew 
that what they accomplished wasn't accomplished by them, but only because of God. So those verses I just read make it clear that the Jews didn't have the size of their population or their accomplishments as the reasons why they were singled out for the task of bringing God's moral rules into the world. Their insignificance was one of the main reasons why God chose them. In fact, being the chosen people came with especially heavy burdens and responsibilities on the Jews, as the prophet Amos points out in Amos 3.2. Of all the peoples of the earth, I have chosen you alone. That is why I must punish you the more for all your sins. And God certainly has been good to his word on that count. The Holocaust is one example, but living for over a thousand years under the shocking abuse of the Muslims and the Christians, excluding the Holocaust, showed that. God will expel the Jews from the land when they stop serving him. Not permanently, but it can be for a very long time. It happened to the Jews in what was called the Northern Kingdom, also called Israel, when the Assyrians enslaved them. It happened next to the Jews of the Southern Kingdom when the Babylonians took many of them captives. Think Boniem by the rivers of Babylon. Then the conquest of Alexander the Great, his successors, the Romans, and finally the Arab conquest armies. And still today, the Muslims do not want to give their land back to them. It took the Jews a long time to return to the promised land until 1948. Deuteronomy 28, 63 to 67 promises, Just as the Lord has rejoiced over you and has done such wonderful things for you and has multiplied you, so the Lord at that time will rejoice in destroying you, and you shall disappear from the land. For the Lord will scatter you among all the nations from one end of the earth to the other. There you will worship heathen gods that neither you nor your ancestors have known, gods made of wood and stone. There, among those nations, you shall find no rest, but the Lord will give you trembling hearts, darkness, and bodies wasted from sorrow and fear. Your lives will hang in doubt. You will live night and day in fear, and will have no reason to believe that you will see the morning light. In the morning you will say, Oh, that night we're here! And in the evening you will say, Oh, that morning we're here. You will say this because of the awesome horrors surrounding you. All of which describes the history of the Jews until the state of Israel came into existence again. The Bible tells us that when the Jews are expelled from the land, it will become a wasteland, as in Ezekiel 33:28, where it says, I will desolate the land and her pride and her power shall come to an end. And the mountain villages of Israel shall be so ruined that no one will even travel through them. When I have ruined the land because of their sins, then they shall know I am the Lord. You can hear more about this in parts 3, 6 and 8 of this series. And I'll give you a quick recap below. So as God promised, the Muslim conquerors at best ignored doing anything with Palestine. And no one who lived there did more than eke out a subsistence living from the land until the Jews returned in numbers from 1880. The biblical prophecy that the land of Palestine, after the majority of the Jews had been expelled, would become a land so barren and uninviting that no one would want to live there was clearly 
fulfilled. Since the Jews have returned, the land has flourished, just like the Bible said it would. But as I've said, the land wasn't holy when it was given to the Jews. They had to make it that. The modern, mostly secular state of Israel is clearly still not doing that. Teacher of the Jewish religion for over 40 years and a major media personality in the United States, Dennis Prager, in his second book on the Torah, Exodus in the Bible, what he calls the Rational Bible, says of the modern Zionist state of Israel, the Israelites then and the Jewish people later have indeed been distinguished from every people on the face of the earth because they have affirmed God and his way. When the Jews have abandoned God and the Torah, little or nothing has remained distinctive about them, and they simply assimilated into their host societies. Ultimately, there can be no lasting, exclusively secular Jewish culture. Nothing secular ever united the Jews for an extended period. In the early 20th century, an effort was made to unite Jews around the Yiddish language. But the Yiddish language and culture were shared only by Central and Eastern European Jews. Yiddish was unknown to the Jews of the Arab and Spanish world, such as the Ladino language spoken by Spanish Jews. And many Jews in the orbit of Islam was unknown to Central and Eastern European Jews. Zionism, the Jewish national movement to re-establish the Jewish state in its ancient homeland, came close to uniting nearly all Jews. Secular Jews founded and led Zionism, and almost all religious Jews came to strongly identify with Israel. But over time, many secular Jews have lost interest in Zionism, and a small number of ultra-Orthodox Jews never accepted it. Only their religious essence has, as the verse says, distinguished Jews, and thereby sustained them. That's interesting food for thought, but it's time to give you a quick revisit to the wasteland that was Palestine until recently. The history of Palestine since the Arab conquest in 635 AD has been the history of a barren, literally God-forsaken land. Different rulers had to get people to move there to kickstart the land into becoming fertile again, Every effort has failed, as Ezekiel 33:28 said, I will desolate the land, and her pride and her power shall come to an end, and the mountain villages of Israel shall be so ruined that no one will even travel through them. When I have ruined the land because of their sins, then they shall know I am the Lord. Count Volney, a French traveller to Palestine in the 1700s, reported that, in consequence of such wretched government, the greater part of the Fakilix provinces of the empire are impoverished and laid waste. In one province, as an example, upwards of 3,200 villages were reckoned, but at present the collector can scarcely find 400. Such of our merchants as have resided there 20 years have themselves seen the greater part of the environs become depopulated. The traveller meets with nothing but houses in ruins, cisterns rendered useless, and fields abandoned. Those who cultivated them have fled. In 1843, another traveller, A. Keith, in his book The Land of Israel, wrote, The land had not fully reached its last prophetic degree of 
desolation and depopulation. The British consul in Palestine reported in 1857 that the country is in a considerable degree of inhabitants, and therefore its greatest need is that of a body of population. In 1867, the famous American writer Mark Twain, in his travel book, The Innocents Abroad, wrote, Stirring scenes occur in the valley, Jezreel no more. There is not a solitary village throughout its whole extent, not for 30 miles in either direction. There are two or three small clusters of Bedouin tents, but not a single permanent habitation. One may ride 10 miles hereabouts and not see 10 human beings. In the mid-1800s, Greeks moved to Palestine fleeing Muslim rule in Greece. Then they made up 20% of the population. They have mostly disappeared today. In 1949, James William Parks published his book, Whose Land? A History of the People of Palestine. He wrote, In some cases, villages in Palestine are populated wholly by settlers from other portions of the Turkish Empire. Within the 19th century, there are villages of Bosnians, Druze, Circassians and Egyptians. The 1911 edition of the Encyclopedia Britannica recorded, in the late 18th century, 3,000 Albanians, recruited by Russians, were settled in Acre. The Encyclopedia Britannica finds most interesting all the non-Arab communities in the country, the Samaritan sect in Nablus, Sechem, a gradually disappearing body once settled by the Assyrians, to occupy the land left waste by the captivity of the Kingdom of Israel. But suddenly... From the 1880s, things were stirring again. It was like the first spring that Palestine had enjoyed since the majority of the Jews had been driven out of the land. And with this spring and the blossoming of the promised land, the Muslims, ever on the lookout for work and a living, started to travel from all over the Muslim world to Palestine. Today, many of them say that they live there from time immemorial. And that is clearly not true. I'll talk about the Muslims moving in to Palestine because of the successful Jewish settlements in the next program. Thanks for joining me, Paul, in The Danger Zone. If you have any questions about anything in this program, maybe you could catch up with me for my guided tour at the Australian Armour and Artillery Museum on Saturday morning starting at 10.30am. Probably the world's best guided tour of an armour and artillery museum, borrowing the Danish Kulzberg slogan for their beer. If you missed this program, you can catch up with it as a podcast on Spotify, Apple, and many other sites. Search for The Danger Zone, bracket, DZ, close bracket. And if you like this program, you'll definitely love my other program, CYKIAE, also available on the same podcast sites.